I've not spoke on Good Friday for a long time, I don't think. So it's been interesting to just consider what the Lord wants to say. But um, before we get there, let's pray, shall we? Father, I just want to just give you thanks for this opportunity to uh, reflect, to focus, to contemplate on your goodness, on your sacrifice, and also, Lord, to be aware of the pain and the agony that you took upon yourself, not just in the physical, but in the spiritual. And I thank you, Lord, for this momentous occasion Lord, written even before the creation of the world, that you would die for your people. And we count ourselves as those, some of those, Lord, that call ourselves yours, and it's because of the cross. And so, Lord, we want to come and uh, just honour you with our hearts. We want to come and learn of you. But most of all, Lord, we want to be transformed by you and by this wonderful message. Lord, the message of the cross. So Lord, will you help us to hear you, to know you, to leave this place as greater worshippers of you, and also Lord, to know a bit more of the depths of the love that you shared for us on that day, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So uh, I just want to start really with uh, a verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 23 to 25. I, I do have a lot of verses. They won't be on screen because I've let Dave off from jumping about. Um, so if you've got your Bibles, you can follow it with me. Uh, 1 Corinthians 23 says, For Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks or Gentiles, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Amen? The cross is foolishness for those who are seeking power and it is a stumbling block. It is incomprehensible for those who are seeking wisdom or seeking hope in a coming king who's going to regain the splendor of Israel and he's going to um, you know, come and overcome the, the oppressors. To them, the cross is a stumbling block. It is weakness and it's, so it's foolishness and it's weakness. And maybe there are many people even watching this morning as well or even here that, that when we really actually think of the cross and we think about that God who created the universe, decided even before he created the world that he would redeem his creation through his own suffering. And that is just mind-blowing. And I just want to spend some time thinking about the suffering God. And if I said to you, why did Jesus die on the cross? I'm sure everyone would say, and maybe they're talking about this in junior church, why did Jesus die on the cross? He died to take away the sin of the world. But why did he have to die on the cross? Why did he have to die? Why did he have to go through this sacrifice? And, and that to me, I'm not going to go into great depths on, on that level because uh, as well as that may well be very interesting. But what we see in the cross, that this story, 
although we may reference it 2,000 years ago, this story started before the foundation of the world, as I mentioned already. Back in Genesis, God created the world and he said that it was good. And when God says good, he says, as he said himself, there is none good but God. So if he's referencing good to God, that means good must be perfect. It must be the epitome of what it can be. And... Um, and God created humanity in the midst of this creation and he loved this great creation. He wanted to love humanity with the same love that he had for eternity and has in eternity in the Godhead himself. They don't, he doesn't need someone to love in order to... You have to have someone or something to love in order to love. Love doesn't exist in nothingness. It has to have an object of its love. But he had that in the Godhead. Love operated in the Trinity. That's why it's important. Theology of the Trinity, the Godhead, loving one another. And then in this great heart, as I understand it, he wanted to include and invite a people into that great love. And I remember talking about the dance of love. You can look at that on YouTube if you want. Um, but he wanted to invite us in. And he created our first parents. He created Adam and Eve and somewhere along the line, they were persuaded that this love of God they'd been invited to, this good, this perfect place of abiding, there was something better. And this deception led to sin, and sin led to the fall, and literally this per perfect creation fell off of its perfection. And even, I was just walking out the other day and just admiring the creation as it is today, and you just don't need to go far on the internet to look at pictures of places in the world that you marvel at creation. And that's its fallen state. Can you imagine what it would have been like if sin hadn't come into the world where disease and pestilence and all these things hadn't come into the world and uh, with it? And so in order to bring us back to God, sin needed to be dealt with. And sin can only be dealt with through judgment, through death, through sacrifice. And there was no one in, on, in humanity that could pay the price. And so God came. And this is the wonderful gospel, isn't it? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe on him will shall not perish, shall not be judged for their sin. Revelation 13 says this, talks about, I'm going to go right into the verse, so you can read the context, but I'm picking out the bit that makes, um, and I'm picking it out properly, just so you know. It talks about a book, and in it written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who was slain, or a better accurate rendering is, there's a book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. This act on the cross was, if, you, if this is, helps my mind, was the revealing of an act already done before the foundation of the earth. This powerful spiritual activity, this redemption activity, though it happened physically 2,000 years ago, it was already ordained, it was already done. And God had willed it, it was done before the foundation of the earth. And uh, which means that God knew that part of his creative activity required his own redemption of his people. It wasn't a backup plan. It wasn't, 
you know, it's all gone wrong, what am I going to do now? It was part and parcel of this ability to create a people who would join him in this great dance of love for eternity. And that whole process, he couldn't leave it, he wouldn't. I don't know why, to be honest, if I'm honest, I don't know why whether he had free option and he chose the one, or whether there was only one way, and this is what I believe, only one way I can create a people for myself, and it's that I will die for them and they will believe on me by faith, faith alone. And that's the way that he chose it. And this is the great mystery, you know, that God had planned to be a suffering God. Matthew 12, 40, Jesus says, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And according to the commonly accepted tradition, Jesus died on the Friday and rose on the Sunday, which is why we celebrate Good Friday. And the reason they say he died on the Friday is because he died the day before the Sabbath. And uh, the Sabbath generally is on a Saturday. But it's not just on the Saturday. And so I, when I looked at this, I thought, this is amazing because if Jesus died on, this, on the Friday, he would have died at twilight, that's in the evening. And if he rose again on the Sunday, he's barely gone for a day. So what did he do? And, and I, I, I want to just give you a little bit of... Um, Truth, thank you, darling. I know where you're going. Thank you. Um, because I want to show you that this act was written in God's heart, in creation from the very beginning. And I'm, I'm not going to go too far. I'm not going to be very long. You could start in, in Genesis where God speaks to the serpent and says that the seed of will step on the serpent's, uh, serpent's neck. You could go even right back to there, but I just want to go to look at this. When was Jesus, um, when did he die? When did he rise again? And uh, why is that so significant? So Mark 15, verse 42 says, you don't have to turn to it, I'm just going to sort of tell you that's where you can get this evidence, that Jesus was crucified on the day before the Sabbath, and as I said, usually Sabbath, we understand as Saturdays, um, but there are other Sabbaths. And the first day of the Passover week, um, no matter what uh, day of the week it came, was always a Sabbath. Now, many of us will know, and you can look at it in Exodus 12, which we'll just pull out some bits later, that the Passover was going on at the time of Jesus' death, and there was a reason for that. And uh, John says in 19, verse 14, he says that Jesus was tried and crucified on that, the day, he says, the preparation of the Passover. In other words, it was not the day before the weekly Sabbath, it was the day before the Passover Sabbath. And it's been figured out by astronomers by um, looking at placements of stars and things like that, I don't know how they do it, that it's... it's um, that in the year 30 AD, which is a common accepted year that people believe Jesus died, um, on that day the Passover was kept on Thursday, April the 6th. Um, this is, you see, you're fascinated. I can tell by your mouths, they're just aghast. Um, so if, he, if Passover was on the Thursday, Jesus therefore being sacrificed on the Wednesday in the twilight would then mean that he was gone for three days and three nights. 
and you think, well, this is very, very interesting, John. Um, nearly 500 years earlier, uh, 490 bits exact, Abraham took his son Isaac, as directed by God, up the mountain, and God said to him, I want you to sacrifice your son. And he, he took him up there, and many of you will know the story. Just as, as um, uh, Abraham brings the knife down, God says, stop. And, they, and then he says, I prepared, um, I think it was a ram, uh, or a, a sacrifice for you. And in the bushes was caught a ram. And uh, we see this imagery. Um, there's even more, a greater imagery when Abraham, you can look at, again, you can look at this in Genesis, uh, is overcome with a darkness and he has a vision. And in this vision, there is pieces of animals that have been cut in two. It's very bloodthirsty, and it's a picture, again, of this sacrifice. Um, the early picture of God's provision preceded, actually, the Passover. And then the death of Jesus doesn't accidentally coincide with the Passover. The Passover was instituted from the time of Exodus. The people of Israel in slavery to Egypt. And um, the, uh, as many of you know, oh, you can watch the film, um, the plagues are coming, then the final plague comes, and this is when God says, right, you're getting out, but something's going to happen. There is a judgment going to come on Egypt, and you're to take a lamb, you're to sacrifice that lamb, you can put the blood on the doorpost, you're going to get ready, and you're going to go. And, and that was the institution, or, or the, the, the beginning of Passover. And, and uh, in Exodus chapter 12, feel free to turn to this, Verse 5, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male year old, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Your lamb, these were the stipulations, shall be without blemish. This is the problem with humanity. You couldn't find a man or a woman to be without blemish. But Jesus was spotless in relation to sin. Verse 3, tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of the month every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. On the 10th day they were to choose uh, a lamb on the 10th of the month of Nisan. Now Jesus, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, we celebrated Palm Sunday last week, loosely as we do in this church. Um, we kind of remember it on the day, it was Palm Sunday um, but Jesus entered Jerusalem um, the previous Saturday. John 12 says this, 1 and 12, you read, six days before the Passover, six days before Thursday, that would be a Friday. And then he entered Jerusalem the next day on the 10th of Nisan. So on the 10th of Nisan, the Lamb of God comes into Jerusalem. The Lamb of God ready for slaughter. And interestingly, Jesus, Judas on that day sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. And you can go into Zechariah where it talks about the price of a lamb, the price of a sheep is 30, shekels of, uh, 30 pieces of silver. And, um, and so we see the lamb now coming in, the 10th of Nisan is getting ready just according to the uh, Exodus. Verse 46 
It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house. You shall not break any of its bones. And we will know that there was, when the people were crucified, in order to speed up the death, and they needed to because the evening was drawing near, it was, it was coming to uh, a place where they were encroaching upon the Sabbath of Passover. So what did they do? They went and broke the legs of those who were crucified. But when they came to Jesus, he had already died. You remember that story. Not a bone was broken, and that was prophesied as well of him. Verse 6. And you shall keep it, the sacrifice, until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. So the lamb arrives on the 10th. On the 14th, Jesus is sacrificed. He's put on the cross. And so we see all this detail that Jesus is just ticking off. Like it's, this, it's not that Jesus is referring to the Passover. The Passover referred to Jesus. Our God is a suffering God. And this is all very interesting, um, John, but what does this mean? We have absolute confidence that this is truth. This isn't coincidence this is written through the ages, and there are many other scriptures, some which you can go into some of the Psalms, that, which we'll look at in a bit, where Jesus cried out. There's Isaiah 53, which we'll look at a bit in a minute. Um, but what we see is absolute confidence in the work of God on the cross. It is written in the ages. It has never been shifted. It was before the foundation of the earth, and it has absolutely nothing to do with me, has absolutely nothing to do with you or what you've got to do about it. It is purely God's work on the cross for us. And that's the great gift, isn't it? Perfectly, Jesus was perfectly acquainted with suffering, and suffering is a key aspect of the Christian life because God is a suffering God, and that's the mystery. How can God suffer? What he took, if like, as Philippians said, he laid aside, oh, is it the song? I always get mixed up. He laid aside his majesty, yeah? He laid aside all that his rights, as it were, and he took the, uh, the human flesh as a servant, as a slave, and he went to the death for us. He's a suffering God, Isaiah 52. Um, let's just, I would like to read this. It's a long chapter, but I think it's, it must be read on Good Friday. And I'm going to read it from 52.13 to 53.12. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted, as many were astonished at you. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle... Or um, another word is um, sick. Uh, I can't even read it. I've got my glasses. Sorry, it's, it's come to that age, people. Um, look in your look in your thing. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see, and that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? 
And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows or a man of pain, that's what that word also means, and acquainted with grief. Acquainted with sickness, that word can be translated, if you look in your margin. A a man of pain. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. That's a note to resurrection now. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge, shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be counted as righteous. That's us. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for transgressors. Amen? Amen. Let's just pray because there is a blindness over, the, over Judaism on this, on this chapter. Let's just pray, shall we? Father, we pray that this passage here will come alive amongst the people of Israel. Lord, will you take away blindness? Lord, not just amongst Jews, but maybe amongst those who will not believe. Lord, that that which happened on the cross was preordained before the foundation of the earth. Lord, will you open up this passage? Lord, will you open up your word to bring life into those that are reading it, maybe even studying it, but not seeing the truth? We need your revelation in these days, Lord. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, Amen. it's wonderful. Pete Gregg says, we often want God to airlift us out of pain and suffering, but he parachutes in. Love it, love it. It's my next book, God on Mute, by the way. I'm looking forward to listening to it because I don't read it. You know, I know that there are many suffering whether it's a physical suffering or a suffering in the form of losing hope, of dreams being shattered. You know, where is God in the midst of it? God's gone quiet. I haven't heard God speak. I haven't felt his presence. All these things are realities that Christians go through. And the cross reveals a God who not only understands pain, 
He not only understands the, the, the distance of the Lord, as it were, um, but he, he has been in it, he understands it, not only in the physical um, uh, suffering on the cross but the, or the beating and the whipping that preceded it, but also the spiritual suffering of taking upon himself the sin of the world, which must have been agony. Psalm 22 says, and this is what Jesus said when he was on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning, oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Jesus on the cross cried out a psalm of lament, a psalm of pain and agony. And he cried out to, this is Jesus, crying out to God, God, why have you forsaken me? Now, many will say his, his, uh, uh, his prophetic words of his word, that's one way of looking at it, or he's quoting it. Some people say maybe he's failing, maybe it shows, you know, people at the time, I think, maybe listening, thinking, you know, where is his God now? And I wonder what kind of words come into our minds, just spending time with someone recently, and it's the thoughts that are the killers. Why has God forsaken me? Where is your God? Why are you not? What have you done? What have you done that God is punishing you and all these kind of things? And you think, do you know what? Jesus was on the cross and he had the, he, the reality and the honesty to cry out, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what a blessing, because if he did it, you can do it and I can do it. You know, it is not a lack of faith to cry out in honesty and say, God, why? Why are you doing this to me? That's faith. Lack of faith is when you give up and you say, well, God can't be in it. Pete Gregg tells a story of um, his, his wife when he went to his wife and he said, because his wife has had some epileptic issues and really, really quite di difficult in the family. And, um, and he went to her and he said, I can't remember his wife's name, but um, said, I just, maybe God's not real. Maybe God's not real. And I think she said, and I might be quite in the wrong, but she said something like this. She said, look, either we choose that God's not real, where does that take us? I would prefer to choose that God is real because somewhere in there, God's got to be doing something. Now, I've completely misquoted her, but the situation, sometimes we get to a point where we say, maybe God is not real. Maybe I've just been kidding it for the last 25, 30 years or whatever. Or maybe he's gone quiet. My God, my God, why have you forsaken you? Psalm 13, you can follow this if you want in your Bibles. We can be honest in our pain. We can make our complaints known to God. He knows suffering. This is my point this morning. How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? Every day I have sorrow in my heart. Just reading on the news, 28-year-old influencer killed herself because of depression, 28 years old. And many people follow these influencers on Instagram of these great lives. She travelled around the world in a van, 28 years old, died, killed herself because of depression. Sorrow in my heart all the day long. And I know depression is not just sorrow, but this whole sense of 
This is David's cry. This is, if you like, Jesus is quoting this psalm. You know, there's this sorrow when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, if, if there's any other way that this can pass from me, Lord, I, I really want to be spiritual. I really want to hang on, but get me out, please. Get me out. I know what that's like. Just finish it. Should we, can we be done with this now, Lord, please? But not, your, not my will, but your will be done. And we say that at the end sometimes because it makes us feel a bit more spiritual. <laughs> the face of pain and suffering, we need to turn to God, keep crying out. He understands the agony. He gives permission for the cry, for the, for the blame. My God, why? Because he knows what it feels like. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Lord, unless the enemy who's speaking these words wins, unless he says, look, see how you are not good enough. See what, you're not able really. See, when you was well, you reckon you could handle the tough times of of God's, of God's work. Now look at you. You're weak. You're nothing. Or well, these words, the enemy is, is over me. Lord, help me, lest the enemy prevail over me. And isn't it wonderful? We can, this is my big main message. Let God have it, as it were. Let him know the pain and the agony. That's the, that's the, there's a picture in the cross. He parachutes in because in our pain we find Jesus in it. We don't find Jesus out of it, he's in it. And that doesn't mean that I experience it, know it, feel it. I've been through times where I can't see the end of something. I can't even see a solution to something. Even now, situation in my life, I cannot see the, the solution it's only in God. That's my only thing left. I have just a strand, as it were, a reach, if I can just touch the hem of his garment on some issues. And we all have them. Some of us have real physical pain, which messes with our minds, it messes with our bodies, it messes with our hearts. We can cry out. It is not shameful to be honest with God. And it's not shameful to be honest with God in the ears of others. And if you hear it, we should say, Amen. You let rip. You, you go for it. Amen. Honesty. Um, Pete Gregg says, um, I haven't just read a load of his stuff, but I just watched a few of his things. But he said recently, he said, the church is less honest than the Bible. Isn't that right? Something like that. He was, he was doing a, a, a talk that Jan and I watched. We need a bit more honesty. We need the honesty of the Bible. We need the laments. What's that look like? And that's a challenge. We were talking about it recently, weren't we, Alan? What does lament look like in the context of church worship? You know, when the person at the front saying, yeah, isn't God good? Let's go for it. And you just about got yourself out of bed. And you're sitting at the back thinking, I feel like I don't belong here because I can't jump up and down. That's a reality. Let's have some honesty. Let's, let's have a reality of what it means. That, and this great benefit, God knows what it means to suffer. In fact, more than me. But suffering is so subjective. It's not for one man to say, my suffering is greater than yours. Psalm 13, 5 to 6. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord when I'm allowed because he has dealt 
bountifully with me. What's that verse? It's saying, God, I don't feel any of that. That I can sing to the Lord of your steadfast love. I don't even know if I trust it anymore. I don't know if I can rejoice in it. Rejoice in the Lord always is lovely to read, but when you can't even see anything or you haven't heard God for weeks and nothing's happening, nothing's changing, how difficult is it to do that? But what can you do? You can come to the cross and you can say, the cross reminds me of my salvation. The cross reminds me of his steadfast love. The cross reminds me that he has dealt bountifully for me. The cross reminds me that he's in my pain with me. Amen? Isn't that wonderful? How can we trust in his love if his love is absent or seems absent? How can we trust in his healing power when there's not been any healing? How can we trust in his generosity when he doesn't answer my prayers? But we remember the cross. Jesus didn't just enter into creation, he entered into pain. Man of sorrows, man of pain. Amazing. I want to finish on this. And I had this picture that's kind of like a little bit out there, a little bit. It's not out there in terms of weird. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego are in the fire. Fire is a picture of pain, isn't it? And who's there with them? Jesus is in the pain. See, as we go through the pains and agonies, we've got to remember, we have to be reminded. And I want to encourage you, and now that we can do it more flexibly and more easily is that people who are struggling need people around them to just encourage them encourage them not to tell them you know it's going to get better um, because you don't know (laughs) it's such an easy thing to say it'll get better or maybe it's to say just you just keep crying out you are loved of God you are, you know, this is truth. Jesus knows your pain. He parachuted in right in the midst of it. He stepped into the fiery furnace of your pain, of your agonies, of your lost hopes, all these things, not just physical pain. There's heart pains. There's hopelessness. There's all this weariness of life. But we remember the cross. Jesus didn't only just save us from our sin. He saved us in our life, didn't he? That makes sense? I I just made that up. Um, He saves me every day, not just from my sin, not just to get me into heaven. His cross. So I want to encourage you this morning. I want to have a time of of, um, prayer. And I I don't know how we're going to do this in a socially distanced way, but I want to give an an opportunity. If you just want God to minister to you, do you want to come and get ready, Drew? Um, is going to do two things. If you just want God to just be, to help you to be honest in your own time, respond to him by just standing and putting your hands out and say, Lord, I'm just acknowledging I need you and I need you to move. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to do anything like that. But if you want to be prayed for by the elders, anointed with oil, then Daniel and I will pray for you. And, um, and particularly for healing. Um, but if there's, a, if there's a heart issue as well, then, you know, what we do there, as we're worshipping, just come down the front and then uh, we'll pray for you. Let's, let's stand together, we'll pray, and then...
Drew, if you're happy just to lead while we... Heavenly Father, we acknowledge the incredible generosity. These words are useless, really, Lord. The, the love that is poured out upon humanity, upon us. You saw us individually. You saw us as a community. You saw us as a people. When you died on that cross, you did it for me. You did it for us. Lord, we acknowledge that. We say, Lord, thank you. We will never know the gravity of it, I think, until we see you face to face. But Lord, I want to thank you that you poured out yourself and you came as a God who suffers, who understands pain. And Lord, I want to pray for the word of God to hearts, for the ministry of your Holy Spirit, to bring a revelation of your life and of your love and of your purpose and of your plans upon people. And Lord, by your grace, healing. Lord, by your grace, the answer. Lord, according to your will and purpose. Lord, we ask you according to your great um, promises of your scripture. We thank you, Lord. I just pray that you release people from what they believe to be weak faith, Lord, which is actually strong faith. Lord, will you liberate them to cry out to you Lord, with all their hearts, Lord. And may we, as those who come around them, support them, encourage them in that. Lord, we look to you and we just pray now that you will come and just minister those. You know the hearts, Lord. You know the needs, Lord. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.